I know, which you combined two topics at once and made this weird. But <laughs> um, yeah, Vlad seems to, for whatever reason, almost transcend his peers that are, you know, also. Connects. 29 teams or teams got it wrong for 29 <laughs> rounds. <laughs> And welcome to episode number 140 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we're about to draw straws to see who's going to run pinch run for Vlad Jr. next. I'm, <laughs> I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I'm joined, as always, by Joshua Housem. Josh, how you doing? I'm good, and you? Uh, I'm excellent, and we are also joined by our uh, in-house Vladimir Guerrero Jr. expert, Nick Dyka. <laughs> hey Greg, how's it going? Yeah, it's going well, Nick. It's going well. I'm, I do you have your uh, your Vlad diploma up on the wall now? Yes, yes. I got the three year general Vlad degree instead of the <laughs> the four year, but I, I think I think I've learned all I need. Well, That's like, because you accidentally went to the game too early. You that's mean, right. You, you took yeah. early courses that didn't count towards your degree. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I I foolishly thought he was coming up uh, against San Francisco, and so I went to both games of that series. That 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 <laughs> was that's so bad for so many reasons. Uh, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. I I said this on Twitter, but I think you could take a team made up of the best twenty five players between the Jays and Giants, and I still don't think they'd crack third place in the AL East. <laughs> less depressing shall we move on <laughs> yes well we've been playing a little bit better since then as a, as a franchise as it were we're going to talk about vlad first because vlad is first last in all things until something actually happens with this team uh but in the mix there the jays managed to sweep their season series in a good way with with oakland um brandon drury finally is doing things although mostly against oakland um with the bat which uh Finally, we don't have 100 questions about why he's so bad. Uh, there was a piece floated out by Sportsnet on on how the Jays are willing to trade their oh-so-old pitchers, Strowman and Sanchez. We're going to get into why that's a thing at all. We have, of course, your many, many questions. Um, and we have a do-over from Josh. He wanted to uh, bring something forward. And I'm going to let him do that because I let him do things like that. So, <laughs> Vlad Guerrero Jr., is a full-time major league blue jay player josh first impression of vlad jr for you in the big leagues well so i was at his first impression in the big leagues because as we mentioned on the last podcast there's no way i was gonna miss it <laughs> so my first impression like in that day was that he hits he does things on pitches that he shouldn't be able to like the ball that he got the double on his first first hit was about a foot off the plate. And in his first plate appearance, he grounded out at 106.8 miles an hour. And then he hit one to the fence on a ball that jammed him. He hasn't broken through yet, really, in his first four, five games, four games. But some of those skills are still extremely impressive. Nick, your first impression. Yeah, I'd echo everything that Josh said. And uh, I think in addition to all that, he's looked all right at third base, which is obviously uh, a promising sign going forward. And uh, yeah, also very big, very like he he makes Rowdy Tellez look 
kind of regular looking, which is hard to do, I think. <laughs> um, I agree. He's, he's been very uh, competent at uh, at third. Uh, certainly has been able to handle some you know tricky stuff, and, and there hasn't been the pass to diving Vlad call that I've seen yet. So that that's been uh, encouraging. Although he does move like a big man over there. Uh, he did have one where he dove and missed for a ball. Okay, I, I did not see that one. But in, in general, was it because he's big and slow? I don't know that that's the case. Maybe maybe a lot of guys dive and miss that one. Yeah, it was just a legit hit, but it was funny to see it. So uh, my first impression is that pitchers are already afraid of this kid. And I, I, you know, anecdotally, I think he's been expanding his zone, trying to get some hits. Like you said, he hit a ball that was about a foot off the plate. Um, he struck out in his first at bat uh, last night in Anaheim uh, because he didn't see any pitches to hit. Nothing was in the zone. Um, and... The, the very small sample size we have says that he is getting like 37% of his pitches in the strike zone, which is in like the, the bottom 10 of the league. Uh, if you, were some to, of, you know, if you were to qualify and some of those ones in the strike zone are on the edges of the outside corner. I think he had four of those in the opening series. So I understand why he's stretching it a bit, but last night in his last two plate appearances, uh, I don't know if this represents a sea change or not, but I, he just decided that he <laughs> He wasn't going to strike out, and he walked two more times, um, giving up on the, if you don't give me anything to hit. I think that's interesting that, that, you know, there usually is a little honeymoon period for a new prospect, and Vlad doesn't appear to have one where he's going to get the fastball to, quote, see if he can hit it, unquote. Yeah, I, I think that that may be not the case so much anymore. The same thing sort of happened with Eloy Jimenez, where they just, he just got slider, 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 and he struggled out of the gate. But, uh, you know, with Vlad, right? Everything about him coming up was that he had the bat-to-ball skills of his dad, but patience. And the patience we haven't really seen up until those last couple of plate appearances since his in his first few games. So it'll be interesting now that this is happening, if he starts taking more pitches and if that leads to him getting more to hit. So, Nick, what do you think about uh, batting fifth all the time? Um. I mean, I think it depends on who's hitting ahead of him. Uh, Justin Smoke was hitting second, I believe, one day, which is kind of interesting. I'm not opposed to it. But, I mean, I think when it all shakes out, Vlad is probably the first or second best hitter on the team by the end of the year. And so, you know, batting third or second is probably ideal. But maybe it's just a matter of not wanting to put too much pressure on him in his first weekend in in the show. That's what I think, too. I mean... You know, it's like he he comes up throwing him right into the two hole or the three hole or something like that would be asking quite a bit for someone who's never seen a major league pitch. So, I mean, they batted him fifth. <laughs> it's not it's not like they're hiding him in this in the bottom of the order. They're still putting him in a prominent spot. I mean, it's just evidence about the number of times he's come up and actually failed to deliver with runners on base. All of his times reaching base have been with nobody on, which is kind of funny. But you know, I I think that there's it's a mix of making it easy, but also being like, yeah, we still want this guy to be prominent. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I mean, he certainly, you know, my prediction was they'd start him at seventh and work him up every couple of games. So what do I know? Right. Um, so the, you know, well, there's, the, there's the other thing is it like, is fifth too much pressure? Um, but I'm sure he's used to batting up near the top of the lineup all his time in the minors. Right. So there's, um, is it is it it's mostly just a mental thing though really right 
I mean, a, a plate appearance is a plate appearance, isn't it? Yes. Um, okay, Josh, any other, you know, things that, uh, that we want to talk about before we get to pinch running? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know that there really is. I mean, you talk about some of the defense stuff that he looks competent there. He hasn't really been tested yet, but, uh, his arm definitely showed up. There was one play where he took a ball he just sort of played it back on it, and it's just he just showed it off. It's like ah, just I'll take my time. It's like Rafael for call back in the day, who just wait till the guy's two steps from first before throwing the ball, no matter how much time he had. And he threw a seed across the diamond. And the reason I feel like this is worth mentioning because when he first was signed and was put in the outfield, his arm was considered not very good, and moving him to the infield is actually what brought it out because it changed the way he had to throw the ball. So it's nice to see that that strength in the arm is there yeah when i say competent at third i mean he he catches the baseball and he gets it to the first baseman with you know uh expediency and a decent amount of accuracy i'm i don't know we've seen enough to know how good or great he's going to be at third base yeah i don't think we're going to see that maybe even this year you know like if if it takes him a year or two to to kind of play his way into the best version of the third baseman that he is. I don't think that's going to like at all something that would be unexpected either. Mm -hmm. All right. So the elephant in the room is the fact that Vlad Jr. Does not get to finish very many baseball games with this team. He starts them all, but but he gets lifted for a pinch runner a lot. Three times in the ninth. Uh, Was once before the ninth as well. No, that was in the ninth, but they were tied. Yeah, went to extra innings. Yeah. So, uh, is he that slow, Josh? Well, I'm. I have the Statcast leaderboard up, and he, you know he's not fast. He's he's below average speed at twenty five point nine feet per second. The weird thing, especially though, is he's getting pinch run for, for by Alan Hansen each time, who is twenty six point eight feet per second, and <laughs> also. <laughs> slightly below average and interestingly two of the times Socrates Brito who is the fastest on the team at 29.5 feet per second was not used so what does all that mean I mean I guess in those cases it was like they wanted to run with an infielder but you know considering the other options they have on the roster because they're sitting one of Sogard or Drury or sometimes Drury's in the outfield but so they could put another competent infielder out there so what it means? I don't know, Nick. I really don't know. Um, because like you said, it's not like Alan Hansen is particularly fast relative to, to Vlad. So um, I think this kind of, I don't know if we're going to talk about this later, but falls into kind of a general trend with Charlie Montoya, which is he likes to manage a little bit. You know, he likes to to get in there. So I, I think it might may, maybe say more about his management, like Charlie Montoya's management style than it does about anything related to Vlad or, or Alan Hansen specifically. We do have a question about that, so we can save our thoughts on his management until later. But I, I think that you have to think that it says something about Vlad, though, just, you know, in the sense of they're not trusting him to be the base runner there in these key spots. Even if it's not just speed, I don't know what it would be. Maybe it's base running instincts. Experience. Could, could yeah, it be, experience. Could it be he has something minor in the way of of a leg issue that they don't want to aggravate by making him go 100% to to potentially win the game. 
I would be very surprised. So would I, but I'm just spitballing here. I, I think if that yeah. were the case, he would not have played every day since his call-up. All right, so we have the untrust. I, I did not know Alan Hansen was, was basically as, as fast as... I, 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 he just looks a little quicker. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also, you know, the sprint speed leaderboards... It's like when you look at Vlad, it's it's through seven competitive runs, and Hansen has eighteen. I mean, these are these are not gigantic sample sizes for their speed, so it's not necessarily the easiest thing in the world to decide whether they're actually fast or slow so far. Uh, the other interesting thing I, I find is, is Vlad, although he does not have any you know dazzling offensive statistics, uh, he he is getting on base after that two walk performance last night. Um, he is not striking out, you know, in like 30% of his bats or anything, even though we, we've said he hasn't looked patient. So even not looking great, he's been just fine, which is more than we can say for a lot of guys who've gotten into this lineup this year. Yeah, just quickly, I just looked up what Hanson did last year. Last year, he was 28.4 feet per second and the fourth fastest player on the Giants. So he does have some history of being a little faster. All right. Well, then we'll, we'll give Charlie credit there. Sort of. <laughs> um i think that's the other thing is you take his bat out of the lineup when you do that don't you yeah it, we, there's one thing that we haven't talked about that's i think the most important thing about vlad being up it's With really that. freaking exciting <laughs> <laughs> um well, I, I think, Nick, and, and maybe you've noticed this, I think baseball in general is excited about this guy being in the big leagues. Like, I, I, I don't know, did you catch the, the start of the game last night? When, when Vlad came up the first time, he may have gotten bigger cheers than their own um, prospects in the lineup. Oh, yeah. Um, I was watching it at a bar, so I didn't, uh, I didn't hear anything with the sound on. But, um, yeah, I saw the footage of him before the game, like hugging Mike Trout. And obviously, Vlad Sr. played in Anaheim, so there's kind of a, a big connection there between the the two players. Um, yeah, he seems like he's a big deal, just not in Toronto, but kind of everywhere uh, in, in baseball, which is interesting because I don't remember there being this much excitement around like Ronald Acuna Jr. last year or Fernando Tatis when he started the season with the Padres. Um, yeah, Vlad seems to, for whatever reason, almost transcend his peers that are, you know, also trot prospects. Yeah. Just for evidence of what you're talking about here, MLB put out a poll last night around 6.30. What would you like to see most? And the choices were Sabathia's 3,000th strikeout, Pujol's 2,000th RBI, Bellinger getting to 15 home runs before May 1st, or Vlad Jr.'s first home run. There were 13.7 thousand answers, and 40% of them picked Vlad, <laughs> which was the most. There's a lot of Blue Jays Twitter folks, but I don't think that, that uh, you know, 5,000 of them or whatever are voting in one MLB.com <laughs> poll. Um, I, yeah, I think that's the kind of excitement that that he and the fun that he brings uh, to, to the game. And that's why I think also we're, you know, not just for our own our own uh, enjoyment wanting him to do well, but I think him taking his step, you know, his seat alongside some of those younger guys and, and guys like Cabrera and Trout, that's what everybody's really hoping for. Cause what's cooler than a superstar at 20. And, and that was evident at that first game. It was a party atmosphere in the dome 
for a Friday April game against Oakland. <laughs> you know, that, that's all you need to know. Ah, absolutely. All right. Well, since you mentioned Oakland, I think we can move on from Vlad because we're going to be back on him next week. There's a whole week's worth of that. The Jays, in an unusual twist, swept the season series against Oakland. I will step right up and be the first one to say I did not see this coming. Did, did you see anything like wrecking Oakland and then especially Brandon Drury doing it, maybe uh, Nick, coming in, in the future? Well, uh, in terms of speaking to Oakland specifically, uh, you know, their pitching staff has been kind of decimated with injuries and it looks a lot like the Blue Jays right now. Um, so they're not it's not like the, the Jays were trying to hit against the, the New York Mets rotation or something like that. Um, but it's an terms ironic of Brand- pick given <laughs> the New York Mets rotation this year, but we'll let it slide. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the platonic form of the New York Mets rotation. Um, but yeah, with Brandon Drury, you know. It's been a month, and I know it feels like it's a cliche to say it's early, but it is early, and even though everybody says it, it doesn't make it any less true. And so, you know, I'm not going to be surprised if, you know, 30 days from now, things look a lot different. Like, there's still hitters all over baseball hitting 400. So, you know, when Brandon Drury was hitting 100 over that same period of time, didn't really strike me as anything too alarming uh, or too surprising to see see him turn it around. I guess we've gone full on into Brandon Drury mode, but just before yeah. I continue I, that thought. I alluded to uh, him. I know, which you combined two topics at once. It made this weird. But <laughs> <laughs> the, the interesting thing about that Oakland sweep is that in four of those six games, they held them to two or fewer runs, and three, including one run in three of them. And Oakland's thing is that they hit. And the Jays pitching just shut them down. And, and that's been something the Jays pitching has done most of the year. And we're all, I think, still scratching our heads at how the cobbled together bullpen and the uh, the band-aided together starting rotation have continued to be excellent. Is there a simple answer for that? Well, I think the simple answer is that, especially in those games, the, the wins were Sanchez and Stroman. There <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> were the shutdown games. But... Uh, you know, I, I, there's talent and health for some of them right now, which has always been the important thing. But taking this back to Drury, you know, since that Minnesota series, he's hitting 326 with five bombs, which is obviously incredible. I think he just didn't want to get Wally pipped. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, with with Sogard raking and and Galvis raking and Guerrero up, if if he didn't start hitting, he wasn't going to play. Uh, yeah, it's it's there's some strange stuff going on. from a team that could not hit its way out of a wet paper bag. All of a sudden, a couple of games uh, against Oakland and and Minnesota and everything coming around. Uh, Drury went from not having a home run to being tied for the team lead. And in, in what did you say? A week? Yeah, ten games. I think ten games. That that's a yeah. That's definitely uh, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. <laughs> yeah, and. You know, like like as Nick said, like the, the sample size was nothing. And, you know, we were on record as saying we thought that Drury was going to be good this year. I think Nick and I even talked about it on the preview that we put up for Baseball Prospectus. Yeah, yeah we did. And, you know, obviously, again, like the, him being hot for a week doesn't make us right, just as him being not hot for the weeks before that didn't make us wrong. But, you know, we're seeing some of why he was desirable because – 
you know, he, he does take some walks and he has a bit of pop. You know, he had a game winning home run in the Vlad debut, which was just an awesome, you know, walk off bomb. And then he hit a game tying home run off Blake Trinan two days later. So, you know, it's nice to see him getting going a bit, essentially. And just so he you had- know, uh, Blake Trinan is one of the best in the game. So Buck and Tabby have told me 150 times. <laughs> okay go ahead nick oh i was just gonna say drury i mean he's still not that old but he's already had kind of two full seasons in arizona where he was a pretty solid kind of league average hitter uh, right. for the diamondbacks so i mean he's established a, a pretty decent major league floor with i think you know the potential for more um and you know i think that's what the jays saw i think that's what the yankees saw when they traded for him uh before last season and so, yeah, I, I think there's still still room to hope that he, he has a really good year. Yeah, I mean, he's only 26. Yeah. And, you know, those, so those years where he was good in Arizona, he's 23 and 24 years old, and he had vision problems. So, That's right. You know, I, wanted, I think I've said this on the podcast before, I really wanted the Jays to get him from Arizona when, you know, they needed all these backup infielders and they ended up getting Diaz and Solarte and, and so on. But so I was really – Funny, I was really happy, I really, really unhappy when he went to New York, and then I was all unhappy when he came to Toronto just because of the rest of the roster. But I always thought he was a good player. Yeah. Well, let's see how he looks in right field. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, just before we, you know, move on to some of the pitching stuff and that that article that Greg alluded to earlier, did Troy Tulowitzki? At- curse the shortstop position and then it got lifted when he got released because <laughs> well he was here no one could stay healthy <laughs> and then he goes to the Yankees and no one can stay healthy and he, he's gone and if I were to ask you to name a common thread for these three players what would it be for Eric Sogard Richie Urania and Freddie Galvez before this season um, glasses well, Freddie doesn't wear they glasses does he no I bet you dreadlocks isn't the answer either. Um, (laughs) No, but if you were to think like a way to describe those three players, how would you describe them? Oh, injury prone. No, 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 players that are decent glove, no hit infielders. They're all mashing. (laughs) Sogard has been the most jarring one for me. Um, Sogard good defensively. No, he's a versatile defender, though. Like, he's a solid defender at second, and he can, you know, but basically guys that don't hit. And between them, they have been worth one and a half war just while playing shortstop. Ooh, so, bad. like, when you, Sogard and Arania playing second, that doesn't even count. It's a it's a strange thing. It's uh, too low. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's okay. It's too low. Who, who we are now paying to not play for the New York Yankees if, we, if, if you were the Blue Jays. <laughs> um, it's better than playing him to, pay, to play for them. Okay, so I saw you two going back and forth a little bit on Twitter discussing this. I feel I'm just going to let you continue to discuss it because there was an article on Sportsnet um, indicating that Blue Jays management was looking to trade possibly Stroman and Sanchez for players more in Vlad Guerrero Jr.'s age range was the quote that the pull quote that I saw. Now, notwithstanding that Vlad Guerrero Jr., I believe, is one of the youngest players in the major leagues... Um, what do we make of this rumor being floated out there? Uh, I don't even know if it's a rumor of this statement being floated out there that Sanchez and Stroman are very tradable. 
Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, go ahead, Nick. Um, I think to, again, just recount something I said about Brandon Drury is it is pretty early and Stroman and Sanchez have been pitching really great so far. But um, I think if they were to obviously continue at the rate they're pitching now, it would be, you know, set new career best for both of them. And so I wouldn't necessarily plan on that to be the case. Um, You know, I think we kind of know what Marcus Stroman is. And Aaron Sanchez is a little more up in the air, I think, because of uh, his finger issues. And if he can kind of get those under control, it certainly feels like he could take a step forward. But preamble there, Nick. (laughs) We don't know. Uh, Yeah, in terms of I I guess what I'm saying is what what Josh and I were discussing on Twitter is my point was I don't think it's fair to kind of dismiss the idea of trading them without really knowing uh, what you could get for them. Uh, That doesn't mean you should trade them. Uh, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't either. Um, and I know I think that's probably not the most popular opinion because a lot of people think, well, the Jays are going to need pitchers. Uh, if they leave, who are you going to get to uh, to fill those innings? Because there's not a lot of pitchers in the system right now, or at least in the high minors. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's reasonable to be open to trading them. Um, well, I think that that's where the difference is, though. Being open to and looking to. Right. Right. So the article was saying that they were looking to trade the trade these pitchers. And that's what I think got people a little more upset about it, because you know, and especially with the players in the same age range as Vlad and service time. So it made it sound like they're looking to trade them for like upper minors prospects or anything or, or things like that, which I could see why that would bother people. I mean, if you're looking if you say that the Jays could get, you know, the, the Rays return for Archer minus Shane Baz. Sure. I mean, because then you get a young guy who can take a step forward and cover for that. But I think that fans are worried. And I would say I'd be worried about it, too. Again, pending if they got a monster package, then fine. But I'd be worried about trading Stroman and Sanchez for prospect pitchers. Right. And I think that's that's a fair concern. Um, But if you look at, you know, teams like the Cubs, they didn't when they were kind of building up their prospects and and rebuilding they didn't have a lot of pitching prospects but they just traded some of their positional depth for pitchers and then they signed pitchers and traded for players um and i wonder if that's the model the jays are are looking to go for when they do talk about trading sanchez and stroman um because i get the i get the tendency to not want to get pitching prospects given their volatility but if you get another you know if you can get a couple more high end uh, position player prospects, you can then again, you know, flip them for Jose Quintana or or whoever else uh, is available via trade when the time's right. I you want to weigh in here again before I jump in again, well, Greg? I, I, I just have a question: Who is better and younger than Marcus Stroman at the moment? Who would be available in a trade? I just mean generally, like generally. I, I would say I don't think he's younger than Marcus Stroman, but. Dallas Keuchel's sitting out there and can be had for nothing other than money in a draft pick. Right, but the Jays aren't going to go sign Dallas Keuchel. Right, the Jays don't need to sign anybody, though, this year. Do they? They're not going to contend this year. No, 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 they're not. But, I mean, so Dallas Keuchel should be off the board by then, right? Mm-hmm. I guess right. the idea would be like, and I think we're sort of talking in circles a little bit, but just the idea that if you're going to trade these two pitchers, Mm-hmm. 
then you need to, whatever your plan is, you need to have a plan to replace them in the rotation with quality. Whether that's trading other prospects like, you know, Jordan Groshans, who's tearing up the low minors or Kevin Smith, if he starts hitting, they trade them for pitchers. I I don't know what the or sign free agents, whatever it is. It can't just be we want to get younger players for these two guys. For sure. And I think as much as I was talking about, it depends on the return that they could get for them. The other thing it depends on is what they're willing to sign for. Um, of course, like Marcus Stroman is not that much different a pitcher in my estimation than Sonny Gray and the Red signed Sonny Gray for five years and 50 million when you include uh, the last year of his arbitration. Um, if, if the Jays could get Stroman for that, I'd say for sure sign him. But my sense is that's not what Stroman's looking to sign for or would sign for. Yeah. And sorry, I was still shutting you down a bit, Greg. But <laughs> I understand, but I'm also not letting you. Apparently, <laughs> um, it was it was four years for Gray, but not not five. Four years, forty. But, oh yeah, I'm including this year at uh, that, the last was, year of arbitration. Oh, sorry. Yes, you, yeah, you did say that. Well, it's still three. It's still four years, forty with a club option. But uh, the thing with Stroman, and I think there's a really good piece up on BP by Matt Trueblood that sort of expands on what we've been talking about on this podcast about him. You know increasing his breaking ball usage to become more successful. Matt also went into depth on not only has he increased the usage, he's changed the shape of them a little bit so that the homogeneity that he's had in the past where his cutter looked like his slider or his slider looked like his curveball, that's gone. Mm-hmm. And he's increased and he slowed the slider down to increase the gap between his fastball and slider. So I don't know that we can necessarily say we know what Stroman is yet. Right, because of the changes he's made this year. Um, I would say he's still, and again, it is early, but he's still not striking out a ton of hitters. Like his swinging strike rate is not particularly high. No, I mean, he's never going to be, you know, like one of these guys that's striking out 25 to 30% of the batters he faces. That's just not what he is. But, you know, if you look at the last two years, 20. Well, I'm not going to count 2018 because he was hurt, but 2016 and 17, he was 19.5%. This year, it's 23.8. That's a significant jump. Of course, yeah. But again, it's in a pretty limited uh, sample of innings. Like there, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if there was a 30 inning stretch in, you know, 2017 where his strikeout rate was eight and a half either. You know. Well, that's that's sort of going what I'm saying though. Like we don't actually know what he is. Yeah, yeah. So, so the real problem is that the Jays have to pull the trigger on something. Mm-hmm. Probably by late June, yeah. Yeah, and you, you're you not going to have a full year of whatever Marcus Stroman is to tell you. So maybe they have better tools. Well, they obviously have better tools than we do, but that that's going to be interesting to see what what, <coughs> what the gamble is um, and which player they want to gamble on if they want to keep somebody or if they want to trade him and gamble on that being where they get the most value. Yeah, we actually have a question sort of related to that, which is why I didn't go more in depth on that aspect. But we'll we'll we'll, we'll discuss that part later on. Well, and that sums up this fairly well. So we're gonna leave the front end behind, and we're gonna come back with questions in just a minute or two. And like I said, a brief pause, and we are back. I hope you did not miss us. I missed you. 
<laughs> All right. So uh, what I would like to do here is encourage everyone who enjoys the podcast uh, to consider becoming a patron because being a patron means you can do cool things like join us for a game like we had uh, uh, Jared Seaman come last week and join us for a game. Um, also, uh, there's a whole bunch of other bonuses for people once we reach uh, certain donation levels. We're actually pretty close to our next level. So check that out at www.patreon.com slash turfpod. I think you can find that. Uh, I'd also like to encourage people who uh, don't want to look at the contributing that way to maybe contribute a review uh, or a, a at least a rating to iTunes because that helps other people find the podcast. A higher rating means we show up, I believe, a little higher in the searches when people are searching for Blue Jays podcasts, and uh, that gets more people uh, more people interested, which we 100% appreciate. Now that I got that nasty business out of the way, uh, we're going to go and uh, get some questions. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Uh, I usually repeat the questions. Uh, All right. Brian Donnelly has our very first question. At Brian Donnelly 8, saw Gurriel is mashing in AAA. Any news on how his defense is coming along? When he is ready to go, when he is ready, where do you think he would play with the crowded infield? Any traction to moving to the outfield? Josh, you have some insight into this question. Yes, so this actually came from Pat Malacaro, who is the announcer for the Bisons. Quote, and when asked about how he's been in the field, getting better. His throws are something he has been working on every every day and continue to improve. So it doesn't sound like he's there yet, but it's just <laughs> almost there. Almost. Almost found the first baseman. Uh, okay, question two from Eli. Oh, they, there was a second part to that question. Oh, sorry. Do you think he would, yeah, infield or outfield? Speculation well, on that? For now, I think it's definitely the outfield because the outfielders aren't really performing and, you know, they have they don't really need Socrates Brito. But more utility, I think, is his ultimate role. I just like hearing you say Socrates Brito as many times as possible <laughs> in a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Eli Weitzer asks, serious question, does Vlad win a gold glove one day? Range isn't great, but his instincts and arm look plus plus. Nick, I'll let you take that one. Um, it's not impossible, but I would definitely take the field. Uh, yeah yeah i mean i don't think it's the i don't think it's the likeliest outcome um he is an incredible baseball player though and if you want to bet on someone bet on the one with the incredible talent but uh yeah i'd say more likely than not uh he won't be a gold glover that doesn't mean he you know he can't stick there until he's you know in his mid-30s or something like that here's the thing he might be a really good hitter and what is the number one determinant on whether you win a gold glove? That's true. Uh, yeah. Well, that's a little less prevalent than before. I but... know. Sad. <laughs> it was. It was. It was great with a bunch of offensive superstars added a glove-like trophy to their to their case. <laughs> uh, next question from Matt Sweeby at Blue Jay Matt. Uh, the front office are reportedly wanting to trade Smoke, Sanchez, and Stroman. If you had to trade one, extend one, and let the other's contract run its course, which player would you do that with? And I edited that for you, Matt, so your funny typo isn't in there anymore. Josh, trade, extend, let it go. 
uh, it's a new game. It's it's uh, FMK, but but with baseball players. What what is your choices? <laughs> I think, given what we're seeing with Strowman, he's the extension guy, mm-hmm. just because he's had a better track record of durability last year, notwithstanding. Uh, trade Sanchez because I think you can get something valuable for him, and keep Smoke because you're not getting anything valuable for him. And in addition to that, I still think that his defense at first base is very valuable to this young infield and being able to have a competent bat in the lineup still has value because people still want the team to play well when they're on the field and the fans won't keep coming out if there's no one to watch. Nick, what's your determination there? Uh, It's somewhat similar to Josh's. I would just flip Stroman and Sanchez. Because yeah, I was I think on the fence you, there. <laughs> I think you can get the most for Stroman in a trade. Um, and ultimately, Sanchez, I, I, I know I've said this before, but I think he has higher upside. So you keep the guy with the higher upside, trade Stroman, and uh, yeah, you just let Smoke walk at the end of the year. Uh, I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to say that you uh, you extend Stroman, um, you trade Smoke, um, and you let Sanchez walk in two no, years. Well, you he doesn't have to walk. You let his contract run out in at the end of control, and uh, you let him hit free agency. And you see if he's he, if he's remained uninjured, um, you get maybe a bargain basement home team discount on him if he's had problems in between time because he has been the most frequently injured of all of them. And because I say trade smoke because it's, first base is a wasteland in the American League, and somebody might want a power hitting first baseman with good defense. Um, come playoff time. There's also the Boras factor of Sanchez. So, yeah, weighs into both of the extension and trying to sign him as free agent options. <laughs> who knows who he'll be with by the end of the next two years? Uh, Zach Meyer, uh, Zach B. Meyer asks if Smoke is traded, which I just did, <laughs> <laughs> who do you see moving into the DH first base alongside? Uh, tell us, since it's a Vlad pod, could you see Vlad moving to first base and one of the other 20 infielders moving to third base? Nick, I believe it's is it your, yeah, it's your turn first. Yeah, I would see the Jays giving Vlad more rope at third base and not wanting to move him to first base DH until he's definitively shown that, that he can't hack it at third. So I would think if, if Smoke does get traded, they're just going to use that spot as kind of like a flexible interchangeable one um i think that's kind of what they intended when they traded morales and you know Tellis just got off to a, a good start so they they couldn't do that uh first off i appreciate zach myers hyperbole he's just you know i, I respect that <laughs> because that's the kind of thing i do when i talk about the number of infielders on this team <laughs> i agree with what you said about vlad but i think they'd probably be kevin biggio at that point yeah that's our next question so maybe we should get to our next question, which is, do you think Biggio playing right field the other night, this is in Buffalo, is a sign that the front office is thinking of bringing him up to replace? I'm just going to say Socrates Brito, because I like to hear that name over and over again. Uh, sure seems like the bat is ready at least. Now, for those of you who are not tracking every single prospect in the Blue Jays system, or are not um, a Biggio fans, he is hitting 361, 495, 625, which is a 1.120 OPS in Buffalo with five home runs, which is pretty heavy duty. Is that good? 
Yeah, yeah, he's he's fine. He's doing fine. Uh, uh, Nick is good. Um, Cromulent. <laughs> <laughs> he is embiggening his statistics in a huge way. <laughs> so what is to be done with a guy who's 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 getting on base half the time in AAA? I think it's Josh's turn to speculate on that. Yeah, I, I mean. I guess he he can force his way in at some point. I think he'll be sort of playing where there's an opening. The, the thing that's weird about the Jays roster right now is they don't have a real second baseman. I don't count Eric Sogard because you know his current hot streak notwithstanding, he's not a starter. Drury's not really a second baseman either. He's been playing right field and second. And Biggio is a second baseman who they're playing in the outfield. So I think it's just they want guys to be able to play wherever – so that they can be flexible with lineups. So I don't think there's a really an answer as to where he'd play if he comes up, but I could definitely see them replacing Brito if Brito just doesn't hit over the next month. All right. I'm going to answer the last question myself, but I will still turn it over to you too because it is a subjective answer. Dave Church uh, asks, is it too early to be troubled by Charlie Montoyo's in-game management? I say it's never too early to be, enjo- uh, to be troubled by whatever your home team manager is doing uh, with the lineup and the in-game management. I, I think that's pretty much a tried and true tradition, and, and it should start pretty much, I would think, about inning number three of game number one that you don't <laughs> like some decision he's made. But, but I'll give it to you, Nick. What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, you would prefer to not see him pinch hitting or pinch running for the team's potentially second best hitter. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Nothing's Ashton Stone. You know, he's he's only been managing the team for a month. I'd say the the feeling it evokes in in me is it's it's peculiar. I'm surprised to see Charlie Montoyo doing this stuff. And I, you know, I hope in a month from now we're not thinking of him as uh, doing the same kind of small ball stylings that he's done so far. Yeah, lots of bunts too. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say the B word didn't come up for Nick, but it was, I was bound to from. Tom. I was trying not to say it. <laughs> yeah i mean like he had billy mckinney hitting fifth and he had him sack bunting i mean in fairness the sack bunt situation was in the ninth inning of that game where drury hit the walk-off bomb so vlad let off with the double so it was a situation where you need one run you don't need more than one but yeah you're you're playing for one so it helps you a little bit to get towards one but you could put your fastest runner on second and hope a hit gets hit. Anyway, that's. But but anyway, it was, you know, it's happened a lot. But I think some of the non-Vlad pinch running stuff can be excused with, you know, he was bunting with Alan Hansen and Socrates Brito. You know, it's like when they weren't hitting yeah. at all. And it's just like he'd rather have the runner move over. Now, we talked about that one. I thought that was horrible when he when they it worked out because of the wild pitch and the steal of home against the Red Sox, but as you know, as you guys said, like it's we, we may have a total different opinion by the end of this month. Yeah. We we will we, yeah. Is it too early? No. Could we be less annoyed in the in the very near future? Sure. Yeah. It, it would be interesting, I know, to bring it back to Biggio. If you see uh Montoyo playing or running out a little stronger offensive lineup, right? If if Drury can get it going and there's less basically Alan Hansen and Socrates Brito out there every day, then maybe you see him dial back the the small ball. Yeah. Fair enough. 
that concludes our questions. And when we conclude the questions, usually we move on to the duo. Oops, I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was... All right, Josh, this one, all yours. Okay, so, I, I don't know how many people know this, but I am a season ticket holder to the Blue Jays. And as one of the nice little perks they gave us for Saturday's game against Oakland, some of us were invited into the TD executive suite to watch the game. Nice. And that was followed by a Diamond Talks event, which was hosted by Dan Shulman talking to Ricky Romero and then Rowdy Tellez. During the Tellez portion, I actually asked him, you know, he he was a guy that was ranked 59th by Baseball America in that draft year. And he was supposed to go in the first couple rounds, maybe even the first round because he was a high school guy with power. And he fell to the 30th round in the Blue Jays because of a college commitment that was thought to be too strong. I asked him what it was like weighing that, and his answer to me was, I was never going to college. 29 teams, or teams got it wrong for 29 <laughs> rounds. <laughs> and I, I even said, how does that happen? And he said he had no idea. Like, he was, there was no chance he was going to college. He wanted to go pro. Wow. And so the do-over is to the area scouts in that part of California for all 30 teams. You have <laughs> one job after you identify a player is to find out what that, di- the, that deal is, how signable the player is. And, and all of them failed so many – like, yeah, wow. That's, that's <laughs> a long, long wait for a guy who was like, I didn't tell anybody I didn't want to get drafted. Yeah, I, I was shocked by that. I'd never heard of that before. Sometimes, like, you hear about these college commitments, and usually the guys who have the tough ones either demand huge bonus money, like Daniel Norris, to buy out of it, or just don't sign, like Garrett Cole, who turned down $3 million from the Yankees at a high school. Thank God, by the way, because I'm so glad he wasn't in the Yankees organization. Yikes. Rowdy Tellez signed for under a million dollars. Crazy. Which is a lot for a 30, 30th round pick, but still. Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, he, he got the most money ever for someone in the 30th round at 850000 But, you know, and he, the Jays only were able to sign him because uh, that was 2013. So Phil Bickford didn't sign. But, you know, like, if he was willing to sign for eight hundred fifty grand, that's under slot for a second round pick. Mm-hmm. So... I, I just don't understand how that happened. <laughs> and if someone would like to come on and explain what they heard or where they heard it from, we'll never talk. Well, we probably won't talk about this again anyway. I'm going to be honest. It's kind of a, a niche <laughs> piece of information. but <laughs> It is, but it's just it's just something you don't think about that they could be so wrong. Yeah. Every team could be so wrong. Incredible. All right. So I am going to catch Nick. Off guard, as I usually do at this point in the podcast, by asking if he has a final thought. Nick, do you mm-hmm. have a final thought? Um, yeah, I was actually I was thinking about Vlad Jr. and how fun it was to have him up, and you know how exciting and how how he kind of plays and does everything with so much exuberance. And uh, I got to thinking, you know, he had like such a great relationship in the minors. It seemed like with Bo Bichette, and I started to think about Ozzie Albies and Ronald Acuna, and I got really excited about the possibility of the Blue Jays having kind of their own duo of just kind of like best friend superstars. 
uh, that get to play every day and, you know, have so much fun doing it. And they're just so there's just so much kind of like energy around them that my final thought is like, I know this sounds greedy because Vlad's only been up for five games, but bring up Bo because that's going to be even more fun and even more exciting. I know, I know, but (laughs) you know what I mean. You know what I mean. As soon as he's healthy, you bring him up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Josh, your final thought? You know, we were talking about the goofiness of April stats. We mentioned some guys hitting 400. Adalberto Mondesi now has as many triples as the Blue Jays hit in the entire 2017 season. (laughs) That was a rough year for triples, as I recall. The Blue Jays hit five triples in 2017, which was set the record. And he's got five. So I just thought that was fun. All right. Uh, My final thought is that I was today years old when I actually realized that Mike Trout and Vlad Guerrero Jr. wear the same number on their backs. I I don't Hmm. know how my brain didn't process that prior, but it's just a weird thing. Was Vlad Sr. 27 as well? Yes. Do I think Mike Trout is because of Vlad Sr.? No. (laughs) Have I checked that out? Not yet. All right. That means we are approaching and at the end of another podcast. Uh, So that is to say that uh, you have been Nick Dyka at Nick Dyka and Josh Housem at Joshua Housem. And I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010. And this has been episode number 140 of Artificial Turf Wars. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk at you next week.